Welcome to Try, Try Again with Catherine Velez, a podcast dedicated to relationships, the one with yourself and others. I attended a training this week and I wanted to share some of the information that stood out to me. One of the speakers was Gabor Mate, a Canadian doctor, an incredible speaker, and an expert in addiction and trauma. Another speaker was Estera Perel. She's a therapist who moved me with how she spoke about relationships. They were both so inspiring. I wanted to bring some of that information to you. And particularly, I'm speaking to women. One of the things Dr. Mate shared is that in the 1940s, the gender relationship of multiple sclerosis was one-to-one. For every man that had multiple sclerosis, there was one woman who had multiple sclerosis. Today, it is three and a half women to every man, and he wonders about why that is. Clearly, it's not genetics. And as he talks, he invites us to consider what environment is and what it has cost us, particularly women over the last 50 to 60 years. How our lives as women have changed from tribe and clan and village and even neighborhood to families isolated in their individual homes and lives. We've moved from having a number of intimate relationships and many adults who aided us and supported us in parenting. And now in the modern world, for many families, it's simply two adults or one adult, often the mother. It certainly feels like we're moving in the wrong direction. This week, I also was asked to speak to a group of moms about parenting during COVID and how to find compassion and grace with themselves as mothers and as women. Someone described younger women as running the mommy marathon and needing guidance or at least support right now. I heard that term and it sent me to a state of inquiry and wondering that so many women feel they're running the mommy marathon. It sounds arduous and it, it sounds like it has an end, as if at some point after the 26 miles, there will be a resting point and mother can catch her breath. She can rest again. And those of us who are not new mothers certainly know that that is not true. There is no ending to motherhood. Once you take that step and are transformed from a maid to a matron, there's no going back. And I use the word matron in the most purposeful and meaningful way possible. It is a term of maturity. And of course, in today's society, where we all want to look like we're 20 and everything is focused on being young and new, certainly the term matron has an old lady edge to it. But I would like to reclaim that. When you step from maidenhood to motherhood, There is no going back. And when we truly mature, when we see the interdependence and connectedness of life to one another in that transformative process, we are all mothers. Some of us are biological mothers, adoptive mothers, stepmothers, and foster mothers. Some of us have miscarried or lost children. Motherhood does not stop because we lose our children We continue to be mothers, and we mother to the earth, our spouses and partners, our friends, and to one another. We even 
mother to ourselves. Mothering doesn't end when our children grow up or even when they die. When I talk to mothers, there are a variety of stories, but overwhelmingly what I hear is the weight of the responsibility they feel they carry. Many women still are doing the majority of the housework and the majority of the childcare. Many I talk to are in charge of the finances and the social obligations and extended family obligations. All of this comes at an emotional cost, and most of the women I speak with are also working full-time. This is not to blame partners or husbands. It is to acknowledge that these women feel overwhelmed, and some feel frightened and hopeless, and many feel they can't or shouldn't speak up. They're running a track and not even paying attention to the present moments in their lives. Does this feel like you? One of my favorite phrases is, let's slow things down. If I said to you, slow down, take some time to be present in your life. How does your body feel? How does your breath feel? Does it scare you to even think about slowing down? One woman I talked to about this dismissed my idea immediately. She said, I can't slow down. I'll fall behind. When I asked behind whom or what, she didn't know. All she could pinpoint was the feeling of having to keep up with her commitments, her life, her expectations that were set not only by her, but by her spouse and both of their parents. Keep working to get ahead. Of whom? There is no end when the goal is cloaked in unknowns. Esther Perel had an example that I find so appropriate on this topic. She said that often we are caught up and that we as women go, go, go. And at the end of our day, we look at what we've accomplished. If we got everything done or most of it done, we've had a pretty good day. And it makes me wonder if this describes you. Do you think that perhaps this is part of the problem? Did you learn or were you told somewhere along the way that productivity was contentment, that productivity was happiness, that productivity was love? Was it conditional? If you perform, you're productive. You're a good mommy, a good woman, a good girl. But if we look at that on a spectrum with productivity at one end, then what's at the other end of that spectrum? Typically, when we have learned that love and acceptance is conditional, the other end of that spectrum holds the defective, the deficient, not good enough. Maybe depending on the message you received or you gave yourself, maybe lazy is at the end of that spectrum. But what if we shift our thinking just a little bit? And what if the other end of that spectrum is the word that When I heard Esther Peral use this word, it vibrated in me like a gong. What if at the other end of that spectrum is pleasure? I want you to think about that word for a moment. What does that word conjure up for you? For some people, it might conjure up hedonism, laziness. And of course, the worst thing you can call a mother, selfish. Is pleasure a luxury in your life? Did you get the message somewhere that pleasure is selfish? 
Maybe you're avoiding your pleasure, your body, your inner life at all costs. And so you focus on the busyness. Socrates said, don't mistake a busy life for an important life. I wonder if our disconnect from pleasure is our disconnect from our own bodies and spirits. I wonder if some of us with eating disorders or emotional eating patterns are filling ourselves up or taking pleasure in perhaps the only way we know how because we are so disconnected from the pleasures of the body and the mind and the spirit. I think of so many of you, particularly younger women, but older women as well, who look at your body with such disdain and disgust. You see only the imperfections, but what if you were blind? What if you enjoyed the pleasures of your body as they feel, not as your body looks? And that is the intention of pleasure in the body. One of the things I like about yoga is scanning the body, not with your eyes, but with your mind. You can do this in the shower as well with warm water focused on each part of your body and be aware of how wonderful it feels. Get back in touch with your body. And when I speak of pleasure, I don't mean hedonism. I don't mean engaging in behaviors that diminish us or take from us or others. If you cannot experience the full measure of pleasure in your life, then what is the productivity about? And what are you teaching your children? I spoke with a woman many years ago who was a therapist, a writer, and a juggler. And she told me two things. First was that in order to be a juggler, you have to forgive yourself for dropping the balls because that is going to happen. And the second was that often, particularly women, when they do have to drop some balls, they tend to drop the balls that are most important to them, the things that relate to their own self-care. As I've said in prior podcasts about self-care, it is a responsibility, not a luxury. How often do you go during the day and then realize you haven't had water all day? Are you eating your kids' leftovers or grabbing the fastest, easiest thing that'll fill you up, even though it is perhaps the least nutritious? Are you constantly giving up meditation time or prayer time or exercise time with the thought that it's really not important. Other things are more important. Everything else is more important. When we talk about these subjects, it's important to acknowledge the role of self-compassion. It's said that grace is something we're given that we don't deserve, and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. And I know there are strong religious components to grace, that it is God's grace given freely to us. I would encourage you when you think of giving grace to yourself to take away that word deserves. So often we get caught up in whether we deserve something or not, and I think it's connected to conditional love and to productivity. Have we performed well enough to deserve something? You do not have to earn grace, whether it's God's grace or the grace you give yourself. Think about that. Give yourself grace naturally. And instead of going to bed at night wondering if the day was productive and if you accomplished everything or focus on the things that went wrong, the things you didn't do, the things you wish you had done differently, Place your head on that pillow and focus on those things you did right and that made you content during the day. The moments of pleasure you took 
in your day. Consider the times when you feel so alone and so overwhelmed and how you still manage to cope in those moments. How you do it is miraculous. Do not mistake the repetition of the day and the effort that it takes at times as being mundane. This is where the miracles are. You are doing such important work, so make sure the end of the day that you take time for a holy pause for yourself and make space for pleasure today. Have a week filled with meaning and love and pleasure.